Welcome to Asia Perspectives from The Economist Group. I'm Charles Ross, Principal of the Policy and Insights. And our topic today is part of the Now for Next Leaders Dialogue, a platform for India's business leaders to share the experiences they are facing now and provide insight into the strategies they are deploying to prepare for what comes next. The program is supported by Google, but as always, our research is independent and editorial control remains with the EIU. India's economic downturn in 2020 was the second largest among major global economies. And the sudden contraction in the second quarter of 2021 was almost as steep. So it is unsurprising that a recent survey of Indian business leaders, which was conducted for this program, found that they have concerns about the domestic economic outlook. But it also found that they are confidently plotting a course for expansion and investing accordingly. Of course, organizations are all deploying a range of strategies and approaches. So I've asked two industry leaders to join me to give us their view on the recovery and why Indian firms are confident about the future. SN Subrayamanyan is CEO and MD of Larsen & Tubro, commonly known as L&T. They're an Indian multinational conglomerate with business interests in engineering, construction, manufacturing, technology, and financial services. The construction side of their business alone is India's largest, employing upwards of 1 million contractors. Widely known to his friends as SNS, I'm grateful that the Asia Perspectives podcast family has been welcomed into this group. SNS, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to have you. Uh, Charles, uh, lovely to be on Economist Pod. Thanks for reaching out and pleasure to be with you on this uh, podcast. Fantastic. Thank you. And Gopal Sama is senior partner of Bain and Company. Gopal leads the firm's global practice in the real estate and construction sector for all emerging markets. The pandemic has been a busy time for consultants and Gopal in particular, as he helps firms navigate corporate challenges spanning strategy, performance improvement, customer experience and organization model. Kapoor joins us from his music room in New Delhi, where I'm told he's an accomplished musician, but it also happens to double very nicely as a podcast studio. Kapoor, welcome to the Asia Perspectives podcast. Thank you very much, Charles. Really is a pleasure to be here and looking forward to the session with you and SNS at a very interesting time for the Indian economy. Indeed. And thank you very much for both of you being here with us today. So The Economist has been tracking Indian corporate leaders' views about their growth prospects recently, and an interesting finding came out from this, that Indian business leaders, on one hand, are positive about the outlook for the global economy, consumer confidence, and their own firm, but they're negative about the prospects for India's own economy. SNS, I'd love to hear from you. Does this sort of general positivity in the operating environment, but negative sentiment towards India's three-month outlook. Reflect your own experiences? No, no, Charlie. I I come from a slightly different perspective out here. We come from a situation where uh, the organization that I represent is uh, sitting on one of its largest backlogs ever. So we are no dearth of work right now. In fact, we are short of staff and short of laborers as I speak to you. And as I look forward into the economy as we see it today, We do believe that the growth is back. But, you know, this is all tempered to the fact that this overhang of pandemic is hanging behind our head somewhere. It's not done and dusted with. To assume that the pandemic is all sorted out and vaccination has found its way into its heart and 
and the things are going to be hunky-dory. It's not the right way to go about it. There is some overhang here, there, and this what is disturbing the thought process. It's not the economy. The economy, in my view, will rebound back. We can already see it rebounding back in some way. We expect by all forecasts, by all analysts, say about 9 to 10% of GDP this year. We've seen a growth even in the first quarter, but that's on a very low base of last year. So one tends to compare everything at 1920, which has been a full year rather than 2021. So we look at even at 1920, 70 to 80% of 1920. Let's leave out 2021 for the time being as a year that didn't exist. We see some re-coming of private capex because many companies in this one and a half years of pandemic have sorted out some of their internal issues or brought down their debt, have tried to settle matters with various authorities to cool themselves down, have tried to restructure the finances. You see some droplets of private capex coming back both on the hardcore infrastructure side as well as on the commodities and metals side. From an overall employment point of view, we find a lot of infrastructure projects have been pushed out by the government. Uh, you see metros coming back. You see some activities picking up on the real estate side. You do see the metals and minerals side coming up. Some of the coal mines and iron ore mines which are auctioned are seeing some action back to being production. And therefore, on the irrigation and water side, we see some projects. On the power transmission distribution side, we see quite a few projects. On the solar side, renewable side, let me put it, clean energy and renewable side, you find a lot of action. Of course, India is booming on the e-com and the IT side, uh, but uh, that's not what the hard infrastructure is about. That's another part of the company. We are not on the e-com side, but definitely on the IT side, we see it booming, but that's more Europe and US. That answers the other question as to that's a positive side of it. We see huge amount of work coming from United States and Europe and such parts of the world. But there is a quite boom on the e-commerce side in India. LNT is not there in that space. There's more the startup and the other ecosystem that's meant for the smaller, younger, smarter kids who pass out of college, five of them joining up. And anything on earth, there's an e-com company in India today. You just name the topic, there's an e-com company. And some of them are already unicorns or popcorns or whatever you want to call them. But that's a different side to life, right? Education is seeing a massive boom. Now, whether it is K0 to K12 education, whether it is higher-end education, whether it's skilling, vocational training, professional skilling, you see terrific amount of activity on that side through the virtual media, including virtual realities and augmented realities towards learning and such. So gaming is seeing a lot of activities. So you find that the e-com side has taken over the physical world to a certain extent. I don't know whether it will last for its smile, but at the moment you see but coming back to the real world, which I represent more, I'm reasonably confident that the domestic side will also pick up. As I said, the overhang of pandemic is a shadow on the head, uh, whether it's a deep shadow, whether it's, a, whether it's afternoon sun burning, is something which needs to be seen as we go forward. Uh, so what can one do under the circumstances is be positive to push on the backlog that we have, to keep hoping that the economic reforms and various efforts, monetary included, that the government has taken will help in coming out with projects and creating real jobs. But at the same time, hope that the huge measures taken towards vaccinating the population, both within the company and the general masses per se, results in achieving stated purpose of as many people as possible getting vaccinated. I think that's a real thrust going on. Just to give an example, we employ about 165,000 staff and about 300,000 laborers at any given point of time. On the staff side, 80% have had their first vaccination and about 50% have had the second dose. 
On the laborers' side, about 40% have had the first vaccination and only about 20% have had the second dose. That's because the labor is also floating. They're not permanently with us. They come and go. So maybe it is more, but that's the statistics that I have. So we need to push on this vaccination. And what is it with us it somewhat reflects what is going on in the country. I think the government has made enormous effort to vaccinate the population. And every city, every village, town is continuing with vaccination. And every private hospital has also been allowed to do vaccination. There are at least five or six companies which have been allowed to produce the vaccinations. So if this is taken to its logical conclusion, I think you tend to feel that much more self-confident and safe from that point of view. And the overhang goes away over a period of time. There is this story about Delta variant and the new causes of it, but I hope that matter gets sorted out as we go forward. I'm really impressed about the numbers about vaccination and how you're looking after and protecting your workers and having a what is a pretty high rate of vaccination, particularly when I sort of think about I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you from Melbourne and Australia has pretty poor rates of vaccination at the moment. So you're doing some things better than certainly what we are doing in, in that sense. Thinking about the positivity as well, I wonder if a lot of Indian business leaders are thinking in the way that you just suggested we should all think that 2021 doesn't exist. So that is a blip that we have sort of moved on. The fundamentals are still strong and they are going to continue to sort of grow into the future. Gopal, do you have a, a sort of a similar view? What's your experience been around that sort of business sentiment in the market? So I would actually absolutely agree with what SNS just laid out. At a very, very micro level vis-a-vis an LNT from within Bain itself, we are actually seeing very, very interesting times, not just in 2021, but also looking ahead into 2022. And if indeed working with us is a kind of bellwether that indicates what the future is looking like, I can say that the future is looking very exciting. And in fact, there are elements of the present as well that look very exciting. The one comment I would make is that there are still a few sectors, as we are seeing globally, that are going to take time to recover. Absolutely endorse the point around financial services, technology services, construction, infrastructure, and surprisingly, real estate. Sales in real estate in India over the last nine months have been higher for that period than at any point of time in the last five years. Perhaps people just have a lot more money that has been saved that can now go into capital assets at individual levels. Perhaps the fall in interest rates has helped drive this. But many factors that are actually driving more expenditure on capital items at a household level that we are seeing. And many sectors are benefiting from this. There are, however, sectors that will take time to get back up to speed. Travel clearly is one. Tourism is another. But that's not just India-specific. That's, that's around the world. We're seeing the same set of trends and stories being repeated around the world. But overall, very, very positive about where the Indian economy is heading. We are constrained in terms of the ability to pump prime the economy. But within those constraints, I think the last budget actually saw a pronounced policy shift towards putting money into the ground to create capital assets that will drive longer-term growth, which I think is excellent news for the economy overall, supports the Make in India platform, but also, and something that SNS has talked about many times and we've discussed it, spend on capital assets and infrastructure is the single largest immediate job creator you can think of. And that is going to create a lot of buoyancy along with you know, we've been blessed with a good monsoon this year. So I think all these indicators put together give me a lot of hope and positivism backed in reality for what we're going to see in the rest of 21 as well as uh, getting into 22. So while 21 didn't exist, and I think it's good to kind of put that as a blip here, 
what many companies did, a lot of our clients, and I'm sure SNS has experienced this personally, many companies have actually strengthened ways of working that leverage technology a lot more than they ever did before. And we are actually seeing companies use technology both for themselves as something to enable performance and going forward drive performance, as well as address many of the issues that we've had to deal with uh, coming out of the pandemic. So while from an economic perspective, 21 is a blip, I think from a performance and an internal review and restructuring perspective, good companies have used this time very wisely and well to actually reframe the way they work and to bring technology to the fore at pretty much everything they do. It's early days, it's a starting point, but I think that is going to see a lot of traction going forward as well. Yeah, really interesting. Thank you for sharing. SNS, you talked about the booming tech sector, e-commerce in particular. Gopal, you mentioned technology as well as a sort of a, an enabler for companies. Our research has shown, which we did for this program, has shown that across the board, there's been a sort of a real depression in investment for companies in all areas apart from in technology-related investment where there has been an increase in that area. So increase in areas such as digital marketing, AI, automation, and cloud, they were the sort of the main focus areas around investment in digital technology. SNS, I know L&T, you've talked about them being one of the early adopters of technology, whether it's in terms of AI or remote monitoring or IoT. I'd just like to get some insight from you. How do those early investments into those sorts of technologies help you better respond to the pandemic? Did it put you in a better place to be able to sort of respond to the challenges which have been thrown your way during this period? Entire aspect of technology, which you mentioned, Charles, I would like to break it up into three or four baskets. The first basket is to do with the digitalization of your entire operations, if you can use the word. Second is the use of the new technology platforms that are available today under the circumstances where travel is restricted and physical meetings are restricted. So how to get going with life and continuing to the extent possible life as normal. The third is the world is changing very fast, especially in terms of climate. And we have seen this massive catastrophes occurring across the US, Europe, in some extent, India and other parts of the world, the heat and, and various storms and stuff like that including the ice melting at Arctic and Antarctic. So what's the other way out of this fossil fuel imbroglio that we have in present? And last but not the least, how to reskill your workforce into this new era that could be dawning on us more sooner than we think it ought to be dawning on us. So broadly, let me explain without taking too much time. The first one on digitalization of operations. It's lucky that LNT, beyond having its own EPC and construction, we had these two IT companies. And now three IT companies, Lassen and Tubro Infotech, Lassen and Tubro Technology Services and Mindtree. Now, at some point of time, I was in US looking after the overall business of these companies. And during the course of the time, since I'm not an original IT guy, I'm more of a concrete shuttering guy, more a CSR guy. I didn't know to play the piano, if I can put it like that. So when you went to clients, I started hearing the words in, in 14, 15, 15, 16, digital, digital, especially in oil and gas and retail kind of companies. One had to understand it because when you're meeting the CCU, CFOs and CEOs and CIOs, that's the word that you used to hear. I spent a lot of time Saturday, Sundays, studying all that, learning all that. And when I came back to India, I took the permission from the board at that time to implement 
probably one of the largest digitalization programs across any PC manufacturing companies in the world. So we created a team out of nowhere to implement digital across. So I'll give you a few examples of that. If you get into the construction part of the company today, there are more than 950 odd sites, small and big. In all these sites today, I can, at any point of time from anywhere, look at the kind of assets that are deployed. If I get into a particular asset, let's say there's a crane that's working, a tower crane, which you see on top of a building. I can see its availability. I can see its utility. I can see its power consumption. I can see the driver at this cabin. I can see his body temperature and certain health parameters. When the crane is lifting, I can see what weight it is lifting, what's the wind forces. I can see how many times it's lifting per hour, all that. How has it been done? An extensive use of sensors, gateways, a use of Microsoft, IoT, and Azure, and an app developed by one of our IT companies called Mosaic, which does the IoT and analytics out of it. We can see all parameters. What we have done is, like for instance, the crane, it's not easy to say how does a crane lift. Even the original equipment people have not done that. So we have a sensor which is placed on top of the wire ropes, the steel ropes, which measures the tension of the rope and converts it into weight. We're using algorithms. Like that, when an excavator works, I can see each time it lifts, how much weight it lifts, what is the amount of lift it does, how much time it works, and what's the fuel, petrol, all that consumption. So like that, we have many, many equipments that we have across, many different makes, equipments bought at different ages, different sizes. We have done this. And what it does today is throws gigantous amount of terabytes of data into us on our own way of looking at ourselves. It's like looking into the mirror and saying, mirror, mirror on the wall, how good I am right now. And you find that some terrible looking stuff is coming out of how you look at yourself. So what we have done is put benchmarks, find out the best benchmarks within ourselves, found out the best benchmarks in the world, put it there, and now try to compare it to see how we can improve ourselves over a period of time. So the utilization of equipments are going up, the fuel consumption is coming down, the amount of work per hour per day, what we do is trying to dramatically increase. Of course, during 2021, it all went down because we didn't work much and it was all pandemic. But even assuming you compare it 1920 to 2122 now, we see dramatic changes that have taken place. And that's how people are trying to improve. And all this is being done by very, very young people. And they are driving this asset, uh, what you call operational efficiency. Like that, on the laborers, we have put an RFID card on the helmet. So we know the name, we know the skill, and we know when they enter the site, we know where they are. In some of the sites, due to thick concrete walls and steels, you can't get the data. The RFID doesn't beep the data into the gateway. So we use mesh networks and Bluetooth pulses to collect the data. This is also useful from a safety perspective. If a person is going to a wrong area, designated area where he should not go, whether there's a big pit or there's a big welding going on or there's some big structure being lifted, immediate supervisor is alerted and he's told to move away from the area, which is very, very important because safety is one of the most important aspects of any construction sites. Accidents can occur. And therefore, safety improves dramatically. We are also using cameras and, and other methods to analyze whether people are moving the wrong direction, right direction, direction that they're not supposed to move, not supposed to be and such. And all this improves safety aspects of sight in a terrific manner. We built a statue. They call it the world's largest statue, the Statue of Unity in a place near Baroda, Kevadia village. Uh, this is after former Deputy Prime Minister and the Freedom Fighter, Mr. Sadar Vallabhai Patel, uh, statue it is called. Now, this statue was a concrete with the steel around it and wrapped with bronze. The entire bronze came from another country. 
and each bronze is like a facade of a building. So we could track this bronze and each part of the body is different depending on the clothes and the contours. So each bronze could be tracked right from the factory to the ship, to the port in India, to the road where it came, how it was stacked at site, and when which bronze material was to be lifted and fixed where. And when you put the scanner, the RFID, you could say the, the contents of the bronze, the size, the weight, and where which exact location it has to go. The technology allows us to do that. As the earlier days, manually used to go search and figure out, and damages used to occur. There's a thin element, they could get damaged. So the number of lifting, placing, everything was reduced. So material tracking allows you to do that with technology today. I've spoken to a lot of business leaders out there and very few of them sort of open up and share their data and sort of internal information in such a way that you've just described that you are doing with firms. I did have a question around the way you innovate. It sounds like a lot of this sort of innovation is coming from internally from you as a business, but I assume you also sort of buy in the innovation as well, working with partners or startups, et cetera. Would it be a combination of the two? So when I went about it, I found my older colleagues were not as supportive as me as I thought it ought to be. Maybe they thought I was been to US for a few years and therefore they thought I was coming out with the great ideas and I flipped my mind somewhere. So I co-opted a lot of young colleagues to do that, right? People are 25, 30-year-old, 35-year-old kids, both boys and girls. And I brought them onto the table to do this digital. And that really helped because kids were not joining us, right? They all wanted to join an IT company or a retail company or some company like that. Nobody wanted to join a company just pouring concrete and bending some steel and stuff like that. So this one it helped attract young people into the company. And the young people were very dexterous with the ideas and their fingers and developing these programs and whatever I spoke about right now. And they were found to be harmless by the senior people. And now when the young kids started implementing, and they have started controlling the data. Now I find the company is changing dramatically because older people know how to depend on the younger people to even show me the data of what is happening at site. Because they don't know even how to open the computers and press a few buttons to get the data out. Only these kids know how to operate all these things. They know how to manage all these things. And therefore, it sort of created a, some kind of a upbeat feeling in the company that everybody is involved now. And the younger we are, the better we are employed and more things we are able to do. It's not that guy with 35, 40 year experience only who can do this. We can also do it. And they're getting recognized. We are the best digital award and such. But you're right, Charles. Whatever young people we have in the company, whatever we can do within the company, at the end of the day, every idea cannot be had by us. Every idea cannot be done by us. So we had co-opted a lot of small firms outside. You can call them startups. You can call them firms with some deep understanding, learning. For example, the sensors are developed for each equipment by third-party companies. IoT Azure is, of course, Microsoft. Mosaic is by one of our IT companies. Many of the sensors that are developed, the crane, for example, that's the sensor which could measure the tension of the wire and convert it into weight. That idea was given by us, but the entire gadget was done by a third-party company outside. On the excavator, for example, how to measure the load when the, the arm is lifting the load, the hydraulics, to measure the hydraulics and convert it into weight was again by a third-party company. The idea was given by a third-party company. So I think it's an ecosystem of young people and, and startups outside and other companies which have helped us with some of these ideas. And I think I value all their collaboration the way we went about it. Yes, you're right. Excellent. Thank you. I just want to stay on digitization for a second. You made some really interesting points and go to you, Gopal. Have you seen the same level of sort of digitization in the companies that you are speaking to? It feels like it might have just sort of become the core of people's business strategy rather than what it might have been in the past, the sort of 
peripheral use of different types of technology as an enabler. It's sort of be, almost becoming the core of the strategies. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree that it should be at the core of any company's strategy going forward, Charles. And as SNS has walked you through, clearly is the core of a lot of the thinking at L&T. And I would say I've seen very similar trends. We see this in many of not just the leading companies, but I would say a lot of the mid-sized companies are also beginning to think digital and think of using technology to actually find better ways of working. But having said that, like every other space you can think of, there is a bell curve. There are really advanced adopters like an LNT. There is a bank that was able to transition to pretty much work from home model one month into the pandemic without impacting any of the customer experience, which gives you a sense of how forward thinking they were even before any of this started, the kind of investments they were making. And digital is an enabler. You need to invest into ways of working. To me, the core of what SNS was talking about, what many of our other clients are talking about, is using digital to enable a much more effective way of working. And using the outcomes, using the data, using the analytics, working with the ecosystem. You know, a lot of very exciting work is happening on partnering with insurgent companies. LNT is doing that, many others are doing that to really drive very differentiated outcomes. But there is a tale of companies, and it is a very large tale of companies that have not been rapid adopters, and they are going to find it very challenging to forget perform, to survive in the next three to five years. The other slice I'd like to look at this through is, if I were to broadly look at the ecosystem, there is the company itself, and there are elements of services that can be brought together. You take something like transportation and logistics, it can be consolidated. You can therefore have service providers who can also mirror what large companies are doing on digital and efficiency. Where I believe this, there is a gap and an opportunity is the bulge bracket MSME sector in India, where individual companies do not have the resources to really invest behind ways of working or into digital, but absolutely desperately require some of these elements to be able to continue to be the backbone of manufacturing and some elements of services in India. And that is where we are seeing a lot of companies make a play on platform-related services to actually build platforms that are not necessarily just for themselves, not necessarily just for services that can be consolidated like warehousing, transportation, financial services, logistics, but to actually provide ways of working services in this bulge bracket MSME sector that will require these to stay competitive and to be able to continue to provide services to the LNTs, to the other large companies that are at the core of the manufacturing and services ecosystem in India. So again, very, very exciting times. There will be a tale of companies that are not adopt fast or early adopters to digital. They need to think long and hard about what they can do to catch up. Otherwise, they will be challenged. And there is a big opportunity out there that is transformative in the next three to five years about enabling the MSME sector in India to actually get to the same level on digital and technology as companies like L&D and others. But interesting times ahead. We unfortunately have run out of time today. We've used it all up. It's been a really fascinating discussion and really great to hear from both of you. I'm very glad that you could both join us today. Thank you very much for your thoughts and input. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm sure our listeners will 
as well. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charles. Thank you very much to our listeners for spending this time with us as well. And for more on the Now for Next Leaders Dialogue, please do visit the nowfornext.in content hub where that research is sitting. You can see more of the data that I've been quoting with you. Today's conversation was, as I mentioned earlier, supported by Google. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about this podcast or any aspect of work from the Economist Intelligence Unit, you can email to asiaperspectives at economist.com. Thank you again from the editorial team at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Please do subscribe to make sure you do not miss an episode. 